This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives. <laughs> what was that? I was testing my microphone, so I did a little. I thought you were just purposefully undermining me. I thought you were playing mind testing, games. Testing. <laughs> well, I do a bit more than that. I wouldn't just blow. What a lame way of undermining you. I know it works. I go, Ellie, this is your inner monologue. You're really rubbish at Andy Cohen impressions. You're going to mess Tr- it up. Do you want to know a true story? Yeah. There is an actor. A family friend of ours was in a show where one of the other actors rigged a tube into a bush because it was an open air theatre, like a bit of tubing, so that whilst he was on stage doing a monologue, he went to the other end of the tube and started being like, you are a terrible actor. You are? (laughs) (laughs) Saying like, you are a terrible actor. So that it looks like coming out of a bush near his head while he was on stage and he thought he was going mad. That's breaking. Isn't that amazing? Codes. That's ingenious. Oh, okay. I'll give you that one for free. To right. Each their own. <clears throat> Welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things real housewives. My name's Ellie Nunn and let her speak! It's my co-host, James Evans! Hello! That's quite loud. Hello. <laughs> I couldn't think of another Andy Cohen quote. It's probably Andy Cohen at his most interesting, really, isn't it? Because we kind of love those moments where he is like, I've had it. Speaking of, yeah, I've had I mean, it. Topical. Oh. No, that was it. <laughs> Speaking of, I've had it. I've gotten into a new podcast. It's not a new podcast. It's been around for about a year. So everyone's probably groaning. But there's a podcast called I've Had It. And I'm obsessed oh with it. <laughs> are, are they sponsoring this episode? Was that you couldn't sound more like you're working? For no, them. they they've really flourished in a way that they we have on the block for a year. <laughs> we've been on the block for three years, and we're still languishing at a hundred thousand listens, which is a paltry sum, according to some members of this podcast. What are they about? It's two middle-aged women from Oklahoma and literally the whole episode is just them being like what have you had it with today and then they're like I've had it with when you're going into Walgreens and people are working there and they're coming up to you being like can I help and you're like no I don't want to speak to nobody I don't want to hear anything leave me alone and then the other one's like what have you had it with and then they're like well I have had it with gender reveals on social media no one cares It's just like a lot of that. And I did some digging and it turns out that they were on a show on Bravo a few years ago called Sweet Home Oklahoma, (laughs) which makes me go, what the fuck? You could have just retold it. Of course you love them. Made it the Real Housewives of Oklahoma and just let them fly. They were, they're great. Get them back on Bravo, Andy. Amazing. Well, I ask you that then, James. What have you heard it with? Um, this week such a good question i've had it with um this is probably an extension of my rant last week it's kind of like unleash something within me so i run the social media for the podcast and i hate social media (laughs) and one of the occupational hazards of my position is that i have to interact with other bravo fan accounts And I have had it, Ellie, with the hyperbole and the over-dramatization of memes, where it's like a clip from like a summer house reunion of someone saying, can you just shut up? And then the text above will be like, the way I screamed, I'm shaking, I'm physically shaking. Or the way that so-and-so spoke about their so-and-so healing journey was beautiful. And I'm like, fuck off unless you're lisa barlow talking about jen shah getting arrested i never want to hear someone say that they're physically shaking ever again yeah i have to say i think my thing would be i've had it with hyperbole on social media although mine's quite specific to like instagram couples hyperbole where it's like 
My pride for this human being is indescribable. To watch them soar towards the spotlight and... and Maybe it's just because I could never dream of being in that sort of saccharine a relationship and maybe a part of me deep down is like i wish my father had written an you know an instagram caption about me saying anything similar to that tune but i am so bored of caption hyperbole yes ellie it was my husband's birthday like a month ago and he's very american and he's very sentimental and he loves romanticism and What an odd pairing. And it's so great for them. But like, I'm literally, I'm at the point where almost in an active protest, my captions have started to be like one emoji or Mm -hmm. like one word. Well, I knew the pressure was on for me to make a birthday post. Exactly. And what I did, I just, I did an Instagram story. I just threw up a lovely picture of the two of us and I said, happy birthday, Michael. All the best. You know what? (laughs) All the best. (laughs) You know what it is? It's counter conditioning. It is. You have to make a point. Yes. I'm doing an Erica Jane. Every time someone's friend dies, then I'm going to send a note saying all the best. All the best is amazing. My ex's dad used to write him Christmas cards that were like... (laughs) 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 That were like, dear Andy, Merry Christmas, John. It's really sweet. <laughs> I love for my Best. parents getting them for their birthday cards from the religious section. So it's like the most florid evangelical copy about <laughs> thank you, beloved father. You have been the most wonderful leader in Christ. I take the Lord's <laughs> name to my bosom and it's all because of you. Blah, 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 blah. And they never comment on it. And it's, I've been doing it's like a little bit I do with myself, basically, for the last 10 years. And they've never once kind of acknowledged it or laughed about it so i don't know if they think that i've just converted at some point in the last decade but being very british they don't want to broach the topic so do you want to know what else i've had it with what have you had it with this virus <laughs> oh my god i've had it with I this virus. i've had it i've had it with blowing my nose i've had it with keeping everyone up coughing and spluttering at night i've had yep. it with having to sleep on three pillows mm-hmm. instead of a regular two oh, in order no. to to vaguely elevate myself to get the drainage a little bit of drainage that's all i ask that's, i've yeah. had it with not having the energy to have the full active i was just saying to james only when i'm ill do i suddenly think i'm gonna jog every day and mm. i'm gonna go back to boxing and climbing and have a smoothie for breakfast every morning. As you're just lying there in bed watching Married at First Sight, you're like, I don't want to do this. I want to be running. I want to run through a field. It's making me do this. Although it wasn't Married at First Sight. I actually, I spent the last week watching the whole last season of Succession because I've been saving it. And I've been saving it for a rainy day because I was so sad that it was coming to an end. And it truly is like the, the greatest television ever made. And it was an odd thing to watch when ill because... It was amazing and it was really nice actually to watch something that engages your brain where I find sometimes when you're sick, if you do just Mm -hmm. watch things like Real Housewives, it almost doesn't, if you're having to sit at home anyway, unless it's a good season, it doesn't quite like stimulate enough concentration to tire my brain out. But I did watch so much Succession that I then couldn't sleep because I just had the theme tune going round and round and round my head and all of my dreams were sort of... I hate a fever dream. ...through a sort of lens of Succession. So everything was like very intense and was like a debate and was like in a boardroom and was like speaking very, very fast. I remember once at university, I was very, very sick and I thought it would be a good idea to watch old X Factor audition videos of crap people. (laughs) And my God, Ellie, the way that I was up until four in the morning, I couldn't sleep because I had do you remember the what's her name Ariel Burnett um, oh wait what was it she's like because I'm floating high so I don't want to feel the flow I got that super sexy swinging thing that you just can't ignore again and again and again Oh, but I'm sorry about this illness that you have and I am very cross and I want to know what the hell is going on in the British Isles because I feel like every few months I check in with you and there's this new thing going around. We're very sickly people. Yeah, we are a very sickly race at the moment. Do you think it's just living in an island in the middle of the Atlantic? It's very wet. Well, it's weird because it hasn't been. It's like gorgeous weather. And it's a very weird thing being sick when it's sunny and delightful because at least when you're sick on a grim day, you don't feel like you're 
I don't feel the guilt as much as when the weather's been nice and it feels like you're supposed to be out sort of doing things and being productive and living your life. I'm quite bad at resting. That's what I've had it with summer. And I know this is like a really annoying thing to say, but I get... Yeah, with um, summer. <laughs> I'm actually cringing at myself for saying this, but I get reverse seasonal depression, I think. I get, I, I'm get. i so miserable in spring and summer. I do not... I'm very happy being at home and I do not want to go outside and I loathe You're the fact, so hashtag not like other girls. I know, girls. and I hate that about myself. I actually get sad in the summer. I, I would, I've had it with those girls as well. And it's not like a cute thing. The fact that I've made a podcast in COVID times to tell people who don't care that I'm not like other girls because I actually don't like the summer. And I get a bit depressed because <laughs> I'm quite edgy and I prefer the winter. It's so annoying to me. You are, su- you're such a, but you are such a winter, um, you can say miserable. You can. <laughs> I went through so many words there. I was like, "You're trying to find baby a word. horrible." No, no. What I mean is that no, I mean you flourish in the winter. I do. I think you and I really suit winter together, and I think we're both we feel quite unnatural in the summer. Yeah, I just don't know what to do with myself. I'm ever so pallid, and I don't think in my 31 years of dressing, I've still found a summer outfit that works for my body type mm. and coloring. That's the thing. You just need to find it. I discovered dressing like I was in a cult yeah. in midsummer, yeah. and that sort of changed things vaguely for me. Once I discovered a sort of head scarf, bandana thing, and a floral meadow dress. Yeah, I need to delve into haberdashery a bit more because you've really nailed it. And then maybe I'll find the right hat for me for the summer, and then the outfit will follow. What's wrong with the hat you're wearing? Well, I, I know I say that wearing a hat right now. This is my Aaron's hat. I've been running errands today. It's lovely. Thank you. Mm. Mm. So we should probably get on to... (laughs) Being around the bush a bit today, aren't we, Ellie? (laughs) Well, okay. I'll tell you for why. Because we were all set to do New Joysy and James made the very good point that the reunion wouldn't have finished in time in a way that felt like a wasted opportunity. Mm-hmm. It feels silly to talk about it just bef- rather than have like the full right. picture. Yeah. And so we frantically scrambled for um, an exclusive bonus app for our baying listeners. I love how we always say it's a bonus app, but it's not technically a bonus app because <laughs> it's just where an app should Because you are getting be. nothing extra. A bonus app implies something extra. Yes, that's true. If anything, there's something diminished. Yeah, a bonus app implies that we would have actually had to have, you know, done more work. A fun episode. Actually gone beyond the, the bare minimum. It's a cheeky app, if you will. Oh, yeah. It's a cheeky yeah. app. And we, we went through various options before landing on deciding that instead of talking about one of the women, we thought we'd have a little chat about the glue that holds this whole mm. ecosystem together. Yeah. Monsieur Andy Cohen. Our lord and saviour. Now, do you think it's a fair comparison? Would you argue that Andy Cohen is the Graham Norton of the US? No. <laughs> um Really? I think the Graham Norton of the US is, I mean, maybe in some ways, but I think in terms of stature, he doesn't have like a big mainstream evening show. I don't think he'd be presenting Eurovision. No, but what I mean is that there's something about Graham Norton that he's just inherently likable and he's very good at his job and he's very good at getting people to sort of relax and talk without ever seeming to favour anyone in particular mm-hmm. and has a sort of ease talking and and interviewing people and is one of my sort of dream dinner guests and i i feel that andy cohen shares something of that where one of the reasons that i i think the real housewives of cheshire for me just doesn't like fundamentally doesn't hold together is partly because when they do their reunions and they have that irish presenter brian dowling what's his name from over here. It just doesn't do it for me mm-hmm. at all. It's very performative and I don't feel that he has any actual care for the women or knows them or whatever. And I th- I just think Andy Cohen, I've got a hand to him. I think he's very, very good at his job. Yeah, I mean, the pretentious contrarian in me is grasping for straws right now to try and think of some scandalous statement to make about Andy Cohen. And there are definitely individual micro moments where I can say, oh, I don't love that or I find him a bit annoying in this manner. Mm. But... I have to give him my unwavering respect and loyalty for spearheading a show that I have spent what some people would say an obsessive amount of time thinking and Mm -hmm. deconstructing and creating a podcast about. And I do have to give him a lot of respect that he is a figure who occupies this weird liminal space where he's essentially just on-camera talent like the rest of the women. 
but he's also this kind of besuited personification of Bravo as a corporation. And I'm very impressed at the fact that with such a large scope and scale of the sample size of Real Housewives, that they all seem to categorically respect him mm. and defer to him in that regard. Yeah. Just going to your point about Brian Dowling, it's a testament to how synonymous Andy is with Real Housewives that they've essentially replicated an Andy Cohen figure in every international variation of the franchise. So if there's ever a reunion, they all will be sat there in ball gowns in a mock-up of someone's front room and there will be some middle-aged gay in an armchair between all of them. To the point where I watched the Vancouver Housewives, which, side note, is phenomenal viewing. It's right up there with Beverly Hills season two of dark reality television. It's like something from an Ari Aster film. My God, I have to watch. You must. I had no idea. Maybe I have to watch that next. It's short and sweet. It's like bone-chilling dread in broad daylight. I can't take my eyes off it. Anyway, and in their reunion... It's so jarring that it's honestly like the producers went to a Madame Two Swords, stole the Andy Cohen waxwork, and then just like plonked it down <laughs> in an armchair and said, go. And it's so uncanny valley how slightly off he is from Andy Cohen. But I guess my point being that they're all very much, uh, oh my God, what's the opposite of superior? Inferior. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm impressed. They are all markedly <laughs> inferior to Andy Cohen. So I think it has to be said that the job is much harder than it looks. So even though we can pinpoint minute details totally. where he could have done better, it's a fucking hard job. I think he does an extraordinary job. Mm -hmm. And honestly, in the same way that I used to fantasize, I've sort of given up the fantasy now, but when I was younger and I thought that I would be a successful actress, I used to fantasize about what my Graham Norton interview would be like and what funny stories his team would have delved up where he's so good at always kind of going, but you, but you were like, you know, I can't think of an example of a, but didn't your mother do something funny with an elephant or whatever? And the person's like, oh God, yeah. Oh, but, uh, right. like, he's, he's brilliant at bringing them up. Um, in a similar vein, doesn't I? I'm reeling from how bad my Graham Norton was just then. I can't. I can I, it's give weird you a because Norton if I tried, I can't, I'm trying to figure out where so I went you have wrong. My but like something. With, oh, thank you, darling. Yeah. Uh, does it give you like mild butterflies if you imagine being on one of those sofa and it being like, "Hi, James," and you being like, "Hi, Andy." It, well, I think this is an interesting division that we can make. My feelings on Andy Cohen in a reunion setting actually differ to Andy Cohen on his own show because I never used to watch his show because I just watch it on Hey You or whatever after the fact. Yeah. Now I have live TV. I can watch my New Jersey at the time and then it will immediately go into a show afterwards. And he just seems very checked out. He's always, you kind of catch him on his phone while the cameras are rolling. Oh. He kind of fluffs things. He just seems very ill-prepared a lot of the time. And there's a real <laughs> variation in quality, I think, depending on the guest. Nothing like our podcast whatsoever. <laughs> so I think I just have this like, this vivid image of us being like, oh my God, the producers of Watch What Happened Live have reached out to us and they want us to be behind the bar to promote the podcast. And then we're there and it's just the most humiliating experience how dismissive he is and he's like oh yeah oh, we got okay, these guys behind the bar and the name of the you know and it's just like oh god it's just not what you imagined it would be so if i ever yeah. meet andy i want it to be as a real housewife yeah i did mean as a real housewife yes um i don't love the way he's obsessed with boobs <laughs> Because that does seem to be like... What, because you can't compete? Yeah, that's sure. There's a, I'd there's be a fine. Of, there's a bit of jealousy I'd be there. But, <laughs> but hey, Ellie, there's a pressure to get your boobs Ellie, done every season. So you brought your double H's. Brought your big boobies. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, mine, he went a bit laddie there on mine. Yeah, brought your, <laughs> brought your double H's. <laughs> a little bit Margaret Joseph, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I think my boobs have got even bigger recently from oh. uh, being on. It's so quite not like other girls. Like, oh, that's, that's very Camille of you. <laughs> I think I just. I'm on I this, think my, I just, my I boobs think my have gotten got even bigger. bigger so. um, <laughs> yeah, but I genuinely, I don't. I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. I don't like to brag about it. Mm. Well, this child, you lose. <laughs> Stop. This was going to be my. <laughs> well, this was going to be my question to you. 
is who do you think Andy's favorite housewives are and who do you think his Oh that was going to be my question are? to you. Yeah. I mean speaking of Camille uh, K- speaking of Camille <laughs> speaking of Camille <laughs> the virus is slowly infecting mm. my brain. Um you did not sound bothered about that. No. As no, carry on um, as you were. That first reunion when he's like fake conniving <laughs> manipulative passive aggressive insincere <laughs> insecure with like the dramatic like, it pauses doesn't, it in doesn't between seem to pain him and there's the the pause in the middle where it's literally like and he's like <laughs> I, yeah. he's, he's really fucking <laughs> aggressive yeah i mean i don't i think they couldn't believe their luck but there's a difference between people i think where he thought that morally they behaved badly on the show mm-hmm. not morally but like he where someone like they know he knows that they were the villain of the season he's very good i think with someone like that uh if anything i sometimes think they don't get put in the hot seat quite enough yeah. by him because he's he's very fair Whereas I think there's a difference between the ones where you can tell that even when he likes them, that they really get on his tits. And I also think that in a similar vein to what you're saying about Watch What Happens Live, I do think he feels more checked out with the more recent series where there's a very, there's clearly a very genuine affection for the New York women mm-hmm. and have like a respect, or, or Vicky Gunvalson or whatever, like there's a... There is a care there, even if he finds them. Someone like Ramona, he obviously finds very annoying and gets irritated with, but they get away with a lot with him. And there's a sort of rugged affection there Mm -hmm. for them. No matter how many times their phone goes off or they fall asleep or they kind of walk off because they need the loo. Yeah. I have to admit, I love I love it when you see him get annoyed. And I don't mean like a, let him talk, annoyed. I mean, um, when you see him get irritated because he's like, well, when they catch the segments where he's like, no, we're about to film the segment. Yes. And someone's like, but I, but, but I need to pee on it. I, I love it. I was going to say, when he yells at the women to shut the fuck up, it feels a bit like Paul Hollywood's handshake, where it used to be once in a lifetime. It was like a big deal. And now it's becoming more and more frequent in a way that feels very self-aware. It's like his version of like getting up and storming off the set. I hate Paul Hollywood's handshake so much. It's too I hate much. that it's a thing. It's I too hate, much. It's too much and it's just... <laughs> it really annoys me and it's it's just all part I think one of the things I hate about it is the way that it immediately asserted in this massive big dick energy way this thing over Prulise of the highest thing you can get yeah is a Paul Hollywood handshake when I think Prulise is infinitely more interesting Mm -hmm. and kind and constructive and I really hate anyone giving giving themselves a brand or giving themselves a thing where it's like he's basically he's given himself a status yeah as kind of unmatchable and i just think it's so boring with the shouting at the women thing obviously there's there's a lot about it on twitter at the moment because of him shouting at Teresa in the most recent reunion and it's difficult because i do understand people are sort of saying he needs to be stopped and he has to stop sort of shouting at women but can you imagine how exhausting Teresa is to have on that show oh my god of and course. how hard it must be to, and I have to, most of the time, those shouting things have been on New Jersey. Yeah, like, I think it's... And it's because they are kind of out of control. Right. When that happens. And when one of them gets on that thing of not, like, there has to be... Okay, you know when we play a game of mafia mm-hmm. or something? If the dead people kept talking, you reach a point where you lose your temper as the narrator because you're like, the game categorically doesn't work mm-hmm. if you don't respect the format. And I think his frustration is that the point of a reunion has to be, you have to trust that I'm going to ask for your side and then I'm going to ask for your side. Yeah. yeah. And we have to be able to hear from both. But if it is just someone speaking over the top incessantly, then it actually becomes bad TV because it's like, we want a little bit of that. We want a peppering of that. But the reunions where it's been nonstop, where it's been someone like Teresa just steamrollering everything, everyone said, whatever. It actually becomes really difficult to watch mm-hmm. or to, it just becomes exhausting. No, they really are like a referee. So I kind of understand his frustration in those moments. I know it's not great. It's an impossible situation that he's in as well. And this is another thing that I respect about Andy Cohen, that I admire his ability to roll with the punches and grow and adapt his style as the medium of Housewives has changed in the sense that 10 years ago, it was just enough for Andy to put out a press relief, a, a press release saying... <laughs> It was enough for him to put out a PR thing saying season seven of Orange County is the wildest, most explosive season yet. 
but people have cottoned on to that promotional bag of tricks he has and they can call him out for it and be like actually this season was really boring or like I didn't like this season or like when is the trailer coming out or like Andy you need to go tougher on Teresa at the reunion and he seems to have accepted if not embraced that there has to be a certain degree of audience participation and he's made himself very accessible and amenable to that and is very cognizant of what their feedback is. And he seems to do a good job, I feel, of having his finger on the pulse of where the tides are turning and what the topic of debate is and what yeah, questions to Yeah, I've ask. never seen a reunion where I've thought... He's completely Like recently, the, missed the mark, yeah. yeah. The, on the most recent Married at First Sight, Australia, it was really weird. The final reunion on that show, the reunions are really bad on that show anyway because they don't get everyone up to talk. Like, they only talk to certain couples on the reunion. What, the rest of them are just there? Yeah. I'm sure they film their stuff, but it doesn't make the edit. Yeah. And the guy who was the biggest villain of the whole season and his thread was the thing we followed basically for the whole season about him gaslighting and manipulating not just his partner, but everyone in the cast didn't make it into the reunion. And it was just the most unsatisfying. It was so weird. Mm. It was so unsatisfying not to see someone held to account at the end. Yeah. In that kind of like, now that we've all watched it back or like, now that we can show you this in front of everyone. It was so... Although apparently I heard someone said that he had like an injunction against the show. He's th- that um. they weren't allowed to air stuff because they'd made him look like a villain. But there's never been a season where I've thought like, I don't think... I've thought that someone wasn't held account enough. And this, all I should say, is through the prism of Housewives. I don't want anyone reaching out being like, um, in that Blow Deck season five reunion, Andy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Like, yeah. But of course. in Housewives, I feel like he's done a pretty good job, which I think is admirable because over the years, it's kind of doubled his workload where he's gone from shepherding a group of screaming banshees on TV to shepherding a group of screaming banshees on social media. And that's not easy because we fans are a fickle bunch and there's always going to be a new flavor of the month. And I think there is a pressure going into a, a reunion where you want to hold people to account quite rightly most of the time in a way that doesn't read as going over the top especially with the optics of one man yelling at a woman or whatever yeah and i think there is an expectation that often andy and bravo are somehow one in the same and that he has to make some declarative statement about a topic to give it some finality that is co-signed mm. by bravo even though he's not, he's essentially just a tv host he has no stake in anything and kind of continuing from my rant last time about the moralizing of reality television i feel like there's this growing delusion among some factions of the viewership that a housewives reunion should be this weird compulsory hr meeting where Andy <laughs> just like gathers all the women and like lectures them for three hours about their privilege and the irreparable harm that it's done and it's I, I think we kind of lose ourselves a bit where it is just women dressing up in ball gowns That's and so just true. screaming at each other for a bit. And that is uh, part of the fun. That's so true. What do we want from a reunion? That's a good question, actually. Like, what do you think a good reunion should be? I think a good reunion either needs to do what ostensibly it's meant to do, which is to give some closure or bring us to a conclusive end or a storyline, i.e. because the two warring parties have made up or it needs to deepen uh, conflict or move it off into another direction. I want that. <laughs> I, I I can't stand it. The reunions where it's like, how amazing at the end. I feel like we found a real resolution between you two. I'm like, ugh, snooze. It's almost always forced and I'm really struggling to think of a time when it maybe hasn't been. I want Brooks walking off the show being like, this is the end of our relationship and them deciding to basically break up on the reunion. And that's great. And that can be a conclusive end. That together. still works. Yeah, you know? no, those... I, I agree with you about like a conclusive end or moving stuff forward. And and I agree with you about closure. I just kind of hate it when there's what feels like, like you're saying about an HR meeting, when it feels like the reunions are there to mend, where I think that it should be there to air and discuss. There's an amazing, that thing, that breaking of the fourth wall of a reunion and the self-referential thing of talking about the show. That's what I want from a reunion. I want all those moments where it's Bethany revealing that Ramona is awful to the crew. Right. Or I want all the details of you refuse to film with those people or like you were doing this for the show. The way that we see it's like an opportunity for another layer Completely. sort of meta that for me is a great reunion and i love it when they all start pulling out texts and things like that texas please texas the more badly photocopied the better exactly like an i was offered a part on 
Cabaret, famously. Uh, no, Chicago, but... <laughs> no, I was talking about um, Gretchen and oh, Alexis I or see, I see, I see. Or, yeah, yeah. And Heather, like all those emails back and forth and producing evidence. I love all of that. Yeah. And it's also about your players, isn't it? Because you get some reunions where they all turn up and they are so clearly only thinking about their answers and their conflicts and like what's going to happen when the spotlight gets put on them. And someone like Bethany, for example, is just a brilliant player of a reunion because she's going to show up and she's going to hold someone's feet to the fire. Mm. She's a dream for someone like Andy Cohen because when you get those amazing reunions with Luann or whatever, what's the one with the phrase that doesn't really make sense where she's like, you were born a liar and you died right a liar. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And they play it back all the time and I'm like, it doesn't, I'm not sure she quite said. Yeah. But she's very good at propelling a reunion along. Mm -hmm. If there's not someone pushing the drama along, then of course he has to purport to want resolution because it'd be weird for he can't be like, fine, fine, fine. Like, yeah, (laughs) that's that's when I think that the duller reunions are a result often of him having to push towards sort of conflict resolution where when you have better players, they're very good at making a reunion juicy. Yeah, on the topic of Bethany, the reunion in season 10 when her and Carol fell out, I think Andy got a lot of flack where in an attempt to resolve a conflict between the two, I think he was quite keen to create an equivalency between the two ills on each side. So we get that famous I totally agree. Yeah. Yes, what you're going to say about Carol saying, what, you're afraid of her too? Where I could, I agree. I really like Andy Cohen, but I don't think he was hard enough on Bethany. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think you're right that what he tried to do was make it... Be like, well, you both said horrible things to each other. Exactly. But I felt like when you watch back the season, I think Carol really felt... It would have been fair enough if he'd said what we've always said, like you have different styles of making up or whatever. But it became about you both attacked each other where, don't get me wrong, I, you know, Carol can be quite annoying on that season or I, I can see where Bethany's frustration came from. But in that reunion, Bethany definitely comes out the worst where when she's listing the things Carol said, yeah, they really are like nothing. It's nothing. Compared to, I think Bethany's really grasping at straws. So I get why Carol says that thing. And what gets lost is that it's a whole season of Bethany making sort of weird snide comments and being like, well, Tinsley and Carol bond because they both don't have kids or like Carol hasn't exactly. made, hasn't, ha- doesn't have any accomplishments or anything. And then it's only at the very end of the season where Carol hunches back, as it were. Yeah, but also there's just, there's no real sense from Andy of the fact that Bethany's just a complete misery for that entire... She's a complete misery and she pulls the Nene Leakes card of fighting at a reunion of just bellowing as loud as possible to just drown out the other it's person. It's so annoying. That whole kind of like, booyah, bitch, is so irritating. But also it's such a low form of fight. It's pointless. And it's the kind of fighting that just doesn't reward Carol's quieter, cerebral style of arguing. At all. Although on the other end of the spectrum, God, the reunions, it must be mad that they do all have such a different sort of flavour. And something like New York, obviously, I mean, those are sort of the most conflict heavy that you get. And I think back to watching the reunion where, who did Portia oh, attack? Uh, Kenya. Kenya. Right. Which, did she pull her by her hair yeah. down to the yeah, floor? Yeah, the floor. Something? Yeah, yeah. That was mad. Yeah. Talk about a uh, occupational hazard. I mean, what other job do you have where part of your job description is on occasion to either intervene in a physical fight or get thrown across the room like a fucking ragdoll a la Teresa? Like Teresa, yeah. He's been through the wars, says our Andy Cohen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Those are mad, those ones with, oh God, I miss Danielle. I miss our Danielle impression. I know. Non-stop. I, <laughs> do you remember when we were deep in those first few seasons of New Jersey and we couldn't stop? It was so, mm. I spent, so basically it, <laughs> now it's the beginning of summer here in New York. There are mosquitoes in my apartment and the other night Michael had gone to bed and I was by myself and I was like, <laughs> there's a few mosquitoes in here. And I had the lights off and I was just wandering around the apartment being like, I know you're there. Mm. <laughs> I'm not going to let you get away with it. No. How about a punch? 
So anyway, I didn't really answer your question. Who do you think that Andy likes and who do you think he doesn't like? I think that Andy Cohen's favorite housewives is probably quite basic i feel like his favorites are probably like the stars or the protagonists of each city i feel like he really likes kyle i think he really likes candy on atlanta i think he really likes tamra on orange county barring someone like tamra maybe who is a chaos agent i think he's probably quite safe i remember there was an interview he did with brandy and she basically said you have your favorites and he said who is it and she went to list them all off And he didn't kind of confirm or deny, but you could kind of tell that she was spot on. And it was basically those types, like the ones that you would expect. Mm. And I have noticed that the ones who are the chaos agents, for the most part, and start the drama, the Jennifer Aidens of this world, the Kenya Moores of this world, Candice on Potomac, I feel like he finds quite irritating. There's something about his interactions with Jennifer that rubs me up the wrong way because I wish as someone with a producer's mindset that he would appreciate the net good that she brings to the show. And I do think he just finds her fundamentally very irritating. And I get that a lay person watching the show would find Jennifer irritating, but I like to think that Andy would work with like a higher consciousness of what they're bringing to a television show. Yes, but even if you can know that on a higher consciousness, in the same way that I feel like with people like Ramona and Sonia, in spite of himself, he really likes them. Because even though they're irritating, someone like Sonia seems to just be undeniably likable Right. with a lot of people, even if you know that they're a mess. I wonder whether it's the same thing, but the other way around, that he can know that Jennifer's good for the show, but she might just be undeniably quite irritating. Mm-hmm in a way that someone like Melissa Gorga may be dull for the show, or may or like people are constantly trying to expose she can't actually afford high-end fashion and da-da-da, whatever. But she seems like <laughs> so what people fine are doing. to hang around. Oh my God, yeah. Oh my, my, God. I'm, I'm, my Twitter endlessly keeps throwing up all of these anti-Melissa things. <laughs> and one of them is this thing that she all of her clothes are like from net porter and then sent back. And then it's showing all this evidence of footage where you can like see the tag still in her clothes. Clothes she's selling or the clothes she's no, wearing? No, the clothes she's wearing. Oh. Oh. Is, is one of these accounts called Melissa's Old Nose or something? I'm obsessed with that account. <laughs> They're it's all like, like the most that. unhinged. It's so ridiculous. And it's like someone like Teresa. It's like, no matter, he's been through so much with Teresa. And in, clearly there is a fondness there. And she's got, you know, she's given so much of her life over to the show and she's made so much good television. She's undeniably a pain in the arse. Mm-hmm. And he can't hide that, mm-hmm. even if he also cares for her. It's like a family friend or a relation that it's like, you love them, but Jesus. Yeah, I think this is interesting as well, is the position that he's had has changed, where weirdly it's almost like he's lost power because back in the day, he was the on-camera host because he was an executive producer on the show. Like he was these women's, these women's Their boss. boss. Yeah. These women's the, boss. These women. <laughs> I like I forgot the plural for women. So there was like a power dynamic there. Whereas now he is just essentially talent like the rest of them. And it is that old thing, as we were saying, that with a history, you can just talk to people in a way that can be rude or direct, or you can get angry with them. And I think there's still the optics that he's somehow the boss and that the women need to suck up to him in order to keep their job. But even though he has no power, so I feel like that's like a tricky Mm. thing to try and navigate as well. How to be conscious of the optics of something when that structure just isn't in place anymore. That's true. It definitely, back in the days where he was still executive producer and someone like Lisa Vanderpump was on, it really felt like this power thing. You could tell he liked her and she was close with him and that felt very like a very powerful position yeah. for her to yeah. be in. The bit in the reunion in the first season where he's like, do you know anyone poor? And then she's like, well, I know you, Andy. And <laughs> he loves it. She gagged him. <laughs> can I ask you a question? You can. As a lady, because I was just thinking about the plethora of fake Andy Cohens that we have across the globe now on all these different housewife shows. And I find it interesting that it always seems to be a man who's the adjudicator at these reunions. A gay man, which makes quite a difference. So you think it's an important stepping stone? Because it can feel a bit like we've had a season of these silly women arguing about silly things. We need a man (laughs) to get in there and get some sense out of them. Yeah, I guess there's probably, maybe incorrectly, and it'd be so fascinating to see what happened if there was a female host, but there's always been this magical relationship between between uh sweeping statement here but like sort of 
inverted quotes, like strong women mm-hmm. and gay men yeah. in this sense that both sides, it sort of works that you have none of the sexual politics and that ideally it means that you have no sense of pride or intimidation on the table or all those horrible tropes of this idea that kind of women would always have insecurity or jealousy there between them or whatever. And then you have this very pure relationship right. where a lot of that guff doesn't get in the way and don't get me and you know a a lot of that is huge generalizations and isn't true at all but there is something about that relationship you know i don't think it's a coincidence that pretty much all of my best friends are gay men where god you've really been spoiled i have i know god damn it but i guess there's a simplicity in a relationship where especially because things like with my female friends because i've ended up with a lot of friends in the same industry as me no matter how much love and support there is for each other which is undeniable and they're incredible we've been so conditioned from birth pretty much this idea that there's a scarcity complex and that there's only room for a certain amount of people and that therefore there's an indirect competitiveness mm-hmm. or some kind of attachment to the other's success but you're like you're in the same pool and that's not just about work that's we're made to feel as women like you're in one tiny pool of for you know finding a partner or for whatever mm-hmm. um should I tell you about my friend who's, who's like 10 years older than me years ago was talking about how she was going to start dating divorced men. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. And she really seriously, she was like, get out of my pool. <laughs> she, she was like, she was like, you're not allowed to be in the same pool. You can still date the non-divorced ones. <laughs> and I just, good. I really, fa- and she made me laugh so much, but like it re- I really get what she means. Mm-hmm. That it, it can feel like there's a very limited amount to go around. And obviously there's lots of debates around sort of politics between like men and, and women in a way that, if I'm really honest, I don't think I have ever had an uncomplicated relationship, like heterosexual friendship right. with, with a man where there hasn't either, where either... We haven't gone out or been together and decided that we didn't want to be together and that's what allowed it to be uncomplicated because you know you've done it. Mm-hmm. You've tried that. Yeah. Or there's like always an underlying feeling that maybe something will happen. Yeah. Anyway, all of this was a very long-winded way of saying that I guess there's something about the kind of simplicity or the purity of that relationship which feels like it allows them to be a referee or a commentator where I imagine no matter how objective a female host attempted to be mm-hmm. on a reunion they would be accused of taking sides yeah. or of being involved in a way i'm trying to think unless i think the only way societally we'd be able to get our head around it would be if it was someone much older like if glenn Co- if oh my god if like jamie lee curtis <laughs> came in to although i say that i think she's probably the same age as most of them so i don't know why I yeah, I don't think older, but i mean so. like but i mean like someone that we think of as uh why as like Mm-hmm. having a kind of wise who also has a status as like high camp if that makes sense do you know who i think would do it who helen mirren <laughs> do you know she presented that harry potter game show and it was kind of like what why oh okay good for her she's down for it i think she would do it i completely agree with everything you just said because you really see it there's like a twinkle in andy's eye even when he's yelling at Teresa or getting angry where he's like my god i love these women and I love that they're here acting like this. Right. He really appreciates it on that camp level. It's about the campness, yeah. I think. And I think if you just, if you had someone that didn't have that appreciation or the love of the camp, then they would just be irritated yeah. by where people are paying. Like, I think it'd be too logic. It'd be too, they'd be right. But there has to be, an, like you say, an appreciation of the whole. Yeah. That I have to say, even you have it far more than I do. Sometimes I get very wrapped up in finding people. I mean, look at my relationship to Luanne. I find her extremely irritating and probably deeply triggering where you're able to totally appreciate that's not what it's about. It's like what she gives to the show mm-hmm. as a result and like how your fondness comes from what she delivers and her ridiculousness. Right, yeah. I mean, far be it from me. This is just like a general point, I guess. But I find it really interesting talking to people who watch these shows, even if it is that old thing of, oh, I've only seen Beverly Hills and like, I love Kyle. She's my favorite. I have gotten to a point where I admire everyone's journey, quote unquote, (laughs) when they're watching these shows. And I respect that people are at different places within their journey. And it's been really liberating for me, not saying that this is like the definitive way of watching Housewives by any means, who am I to say that? But I think I've gotten to a place where 
and people try my patience like Teresa, but rather than do I like you, it's just what is your function on the show? What is your archetype and how do you best fully embody that and give to it? And so even if it is someone who's patently annoying... It's like, do I respect you? I respect (laughs) the the cog that you are in the greater machine, which I feel hopefully is a way that Andy thinks about it as well. Even reading Not All Diamonds and Rosé, he talks about the show foundationally with a very gay, campy sensibility. So he very frequently, and I think quite rightly draws from his love of soap operas from the 80s and the 90s Mm. and and those structures and and discusses Real Housewives in those terms. I think he really understands the need to have a villain, however that may look, or how close tragedy and comedy can be and how they really are two sides of the same coin in a way that feels very heightened and it heartens me that he does think about it in those terms that it makes me feel glad that the forefather of housewives recognizes what a televisual treat it is and it is more than just a job for him you're right to be his predecessor this is like my l woods video essay yeah i object i also admire his humility because i think at this point in the game he could really sit on his laurels and go look at this fabulous franchise that i've created that i'm the face of but then there seemed to also be a frequent refrain in Not All Diamonds and Rosé where he kept being like, at the time I thought this was a terrible idea and I didn't want to do it, but then I'm so glad that people didn't listen to me because it turned out great. Like he didn't want to do a Beverly Hills spinoff because he thought it would be too similar to OC. He didn't want Lisa Rinna on the show because he didn't understand why you would want someone famous. Yeah, absolutely. He was so candid about those things. Yeah. I admire him too. Maybe we haven't made any huge new revelations here. I think that's kind of... Because when you suggested let's do an Andy Cohen episode, I was really excited and I thought, oh my God, that's so obvious, but so something I wouldn't have considered doing. Genius. And then I thought, this is a challenge because I thought, what do I think of Andy Cohen, you know? You know, I think the fact that we don't have strong opinions on him is why he's so good at his job. Isn't that impressive? It'd be a a disaster to, again, it's why Graham Norton's so brilliant coming full circle is because your job is to listen and to hand over and to be likable enough that you're happy that they're on your screen, Mm -hmm. but never detract from... The personality is around in a way that means you kind of forget that they're there. Sort of like a great therapist Mm -hmm. or something. So if you were to recast a host of Real Housewives of Cheshire, would you have Graham Norton as the presenter? No, I'd have you, my darling. Thank you. That was the test. And you passed. Do you have any favourite Andy Cohen reunion moments Um, that you'd like to bring up apropos of nothing? Quite a genuine one. When they brought out the stuff for his, when he was having a baby. And he seemed genuinely choked up. And it's just so wholesome and it's really warm. And it made me realise how much I liked Andy Cohen. Mm -hmm. And genuinely think he probably will be a really great parent and i think that that humility that you were talking about and there's he's he's quite solid and grounded and very good actually at not showing too much emotion Mm -hmm. either way in a way that's quite essential i think in in the reunion role and that felt like a moment of real genuine emotion that felt like it just sort of it showed you a bit behind the the yeah that one moment of showing emotion in all these years is really impressive. And I think that kind of restraint to balance yourself on that tightrope where you understand and appreciate the dramatics and the campness of this circus and to participate in it for so long, but to remain such a stoic figure is a really, really hard thing to do. I could so imagine another world in which, say, like, Wendy Williams presented the show and it would be, like, ridiculous because it would just be, like, having another real housewife presenting the show. Or I think you know. that's what, in my head, when I think about the idea of who else would present it, it's like, if it was a woman, I can only imagine it either being, like, another housewife in terms of another big personality yeah. or, like, Oprah or whatever. And you think about when Oprah interviewed Harry and Meghan right. and it's all like, what? Yeah. Those are very safe for like one-on-one interviews. Someone like Oprah is very good at validating the individual yeah, story. Yeah. And being like, oh my God. Yeah. But you can't do that for eight people on a sofa to everyone. And you have to be an extension of the viewer rather than a performer. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like either it would end up being like another housewife or you think it could end up being a sort of Jamie Lee Curtis, um, Fran Leibowitz style, someone just like super intellectual <laughs> in all black 
being quite quippy, but the risk would be that they look like they were judging the show, that they're like above right. the show. I mean, obviously, if it was Fran Leibowitz, but what somehow Andy Cohen manages is to be fairly objective without ever looking like he's above it or like yeah. he's diminishing or dismissing them. It's never saying the drama. You have to give the drama power, but without becoming performative mm-hmm. or getting like swept up in it. And that's that's really hard. Yeah, while still retaining a producer's instinct for good drama. Like I, lo- I think this is probably one of my favorite moments is in that Jersey reunion. I think it's the same one, isn't it? When Danielle gets out the necklace for Teresa and then Andy's like, oh, oh Teresa, put it on. <laughs> Oh, what do you think, Teresa? Oh my god, I totally and it's like, forgot you that. You little shitster. I saw on Twitter the other day the clip that was one of my favourites when they're talking about how Kim G did run concentration camps <laughs> and Teresa's being like, "That we know, no, that we know of. I mean, that we know." Of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, who knows? Oh god, it's so funny. Uh, I uh, mean, yeah, I miss it. Um, right, shall we put? Andy Cohen to bed. Oh, it's a cute little tuck him yeah, up. Tuck him, tuck tuck him, him up tight. Yep, give him a little turn the lights out and a warm cookie. Sweet dreams. I have an idea for our next episode. What is it? So I know you're only vaguely aware that there's a little situation called Scandival at the moment. Oh my god! And I, the, in what world would I be able to catch up on it? I well, this is what I was going to say. It would be too much for you to catch up on it, but I think it would be interesting because the final part of the reunion is playing this week. So if you just watch those three parts and then we can just kind of like talk about it because I think it would be really interesting seeing, because I think it's not an exaggeration to say you are the woman on planet Earth who knows the least about Vanderpump Rules and Scandal. Yes. But with this good working knowledge of Bravo and a reunion setting. I think we could have a really okay, interesting, interesting... Because I feel like, again, with social media, I can't see the forest for the trees right now. I'm, like, too aware of it and I could use a fresh okay. set of eyes. Okay, I love it. There's a Instagram account where these guys, they sing songs where one of them knows the lyrics <laughs> and one of them has, like, never heard the song before. And so, like, one of them will sing a line. And then the other one just guesses what the next lyrics are. <laughs> so I feel it will be much like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll be filling in the blanks <laughs> together. And I can't Wonderful, wait. Wonderful, I can't All wait. Right. okay. Fantastic. Take us out. Damn freaking tastic uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the Housewives Archives. If you enjoyed today's episode, then give us a little like, maybe subscribe, tell your friends, or leave us a review. That always really helps too. And we look forward to uh, speaking more in your... Oh... Oh, what the hell? We'll see you here in two weeks' time. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.